So today I am sitting in the house of James Hong. We're here in, in Burlingame in California. And James is the founder of Hot or Not, which is um, kind of a revolution for a lot of us on the internet because it was one of the first companies that totally self-funded and, and, and made, it, made, it, made it themselves um, online. And um, so they started out of their houses and grew to quite a lot of scale and then sold. Um, James has got a good story. We're actually sitting here drinking tea. And um, it's um, it's a good thing. So James, take it away. Tell us tell us about yourself. Okay. Uh, what can I tell you? I mean, do you want uh, tell, just tell us a little bit about your background for people that haven't okay, who you are? Okay. Sure. Um, my background is uh, I uh, I guess I've been online since uh, I was in third grade when I got my first modem, which was a 300 baud modem. And uh, you know, I, I kind of grew up on VBSs and down, you know. Um, Cracking games, downloading software, and uh, you know. Um, what were you cracking games with? Huh? Well, mostly games? on Apple II. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was just like playing with the byte by mm-hmm. code on the disk and stuff like that, um, and uh, the, with disk editors and stuff. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, those were back. That's back in the day of like Ultima II <laughs> and things like that. And uh, got into modems. In, uh, I got a modem when I was in fifth grade. Got really into BBSs and um, uh, you know. Uh, downloading software and, and freaking credit card type stuff. Are you doing blue boxing? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, w- I was, you know, at that time I was like in sixth grade. I tried to make one, but it didn't work. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, like back in the day of the, the blue boxes and all the different colored boxes, um, which incidentally is how Apple started. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, right. trying to how create, Apple started. Yeah, they, they're for, when they got together, they first got, they, they were making... Um, I know they were selling them, but that's how Apple started? I mean, that's how Wozniak and Jobs, that's what they were working on before they... Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, no, actually, I think, no, I think Jobs was, wanted to buy one or something like that, and that's how they met. Hmm. Like, one of them wanted to buy it, and the other one knew how to make them. And, uh, <clears throat> so, um, you know, so I've been online for a long time, and, uh, you know, I went to Berkeley, got an engineering electrical engineering, computer science degree, and, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, so I've just basically, I like to play online, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I think that seems to be a common theme with a lot of people who um, build web companies in, in kind of like my generation. Um, a lot of people um, were on online very early, and um, so anyway, so, so, uh, so I kind of like bounced around, I, you know, I got a real job after college, work at HP, um, building test equipment, that kind of scientific stuff. And uh, but you know I was always so fascinated with the web, and uh, so um, after I left uh, HP, I went to business school for a couple of years and decided I just wanted to get back into stuff I really loved to to, to play with, which was the internet. And uh, so then I started Hot or Not like a year after business school, and um, <clears throat> that was an interesting experience. Um, you know, we just kind of um, at the time we were really interested in web services and things like that, and. Um, Dave Weiner, I don't know if you know Dave Weiner, but um, he's kind of like an industry, software industry pundit. And uh, he had this concept of uh, the two-way web, is it the, the, um, the phrase that he coined. And the two-way web was basically pointing out that like the difference between the Internet medium and traditional um, mediums is the fact that conversations can happen, that, that um, feedback is really easy, that the, the flow of content can go in both directions, not just in one um, which is the case in print and TV and so on. And um, so that was really interesting to us. And um, so when we came up with Hot or Not, we were basically trying to think of things that we thought could be viral, um, or, or at least not viral in the strict sense of viral, which, you know, to be strictly viral, you have to, you know, as, a me- as part of using the product, the, the user has to pass it on to someone else. So we were not viral with Hot or Not, but we just thought it would have strong word of mouth. And um, the concept was basically that you know someone would submit their picture to the site for other people to rate, and um, the you know people would rate the picture and and, and see the score, and then so you went after that concept because you thought it would be viral. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. The, the um, <laughs> before we did Hot or Not, um, I was obsessed with this guy called um, the Turkish Stud. Yeah. Do you remember the Turkish yeah, Stud? Yeah, so I kiss does. you, yeah, Mahir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of him. I, I had, like, uh, the Mahir screensaver and right. I had a T-shirt. Yeah, know? yeah. And, 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 and basically, um, 
the reason I was obsessed with him was because somehow this dude, who it turned out didn't even make the website, someone else took his website and made a joke website out of it, um, ended up on Letterman. And um, and he got like a million people to come to his site, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what they say anyway. I mean, I think Etor, the company Etor, I don't know if you remember them. They they, they really they really tried to write him and they helped. They brought him out here and right. put publicity behind him. But you know, I I was young and naive at the time. I didn't realize that. <laughs> so I was pretty fascinated by the fact that I was like, you know, uh, I you know talking to my business partner then um, Jim Young, my co-founder of Hunter Not, you know, we were just like, man, that is just insane that this dude. By himself, with no funding, got this much, this many people to like check his site out, right? And um, that was just amazing to me, um, because I mean, I guess now today people understand the potential of scale, the scale of internet, and um, but back then it was still fairly new. It seemed, and it seemed like the only people who were able to achieve that kind of scale were well-funded companies who got a lot of press and blah blah blah, and um, not just this. That, that was the first time I saw like a person get that kind of distribution um, organically, or at least seemingly organically. And so we kind of had a challenge. You know, I said, dude, we have to build a Mihir. Like, so when we launched Hot or Not, it was actually never meant to, it was not intended to be a business. It was, um, it was more just like, we just wanted to build a Mihir. And without any thought of the consequences of building a Mihir or the cost structure or whatnot at the time. <clears throat> so, um, but you want to build a Mihir and you want it to be viral. Well, we realize that well, viral marketing, word of mouth marketing are the only ways that you can grow to that size without spending for it. Right. You know, and uh, you know, either you're buying it or, or people are giving it to you. Right. And we were broke, so we were trying to get people to give it to us. So when we came up with the concept of Hunter Not, it was kind of based around the idea of voyeurism and looking at girls or looking at guys, which we felt was pretty compelling, and we thought it would have Potential for becoming a Mahir. And so, you know, it wasn't, the concept was so simple um, that it didn't take that long for us to build. Um, and so, you know, we had the idea one week, we, um, Jim coded most of it uh, in a week. So in reality, in a couple of days. Was it, was it your partner that did all the programming? Did you? Yeah, in the beginning, yeah. It was, I mean, yeah, it was always Jim doing the programming. I think I might have, like, started started the database schema in the very beginning, which I'm sure he wiped out by the end of that week. But um, yeah, so Jim did all the coding. Um, it was just an idea that that we had, um, and Jim was busy doing his PhD at the time, and he was kind of burned out, so he wanted a side project to work on as a break. And again, like the, the intention was just kind of see what would happen. We, we had a feeling that it could be popular, but we didn't know, so we just kind of wanted to throw it out there and see what would happen. So we launched it a week later, um, and all I did was I emailed it to 40 of my friend, 42 of my friends, um, and uh, I think we launched it on a Monday around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, we had like 30,000 visitors, 37,000 visitors or something like that. Oh, on the 30, first day. Yeah, on the first day, like within the half day, on the first half day, really. And um, yeah, I mean, it basically turned out that, like, you know, at the time there was nothing else going on. You know, it was October of 2000, so um, uh, the, the downturn had already happened, and people were kind of like in a in a numb state <laughs> of mind, and so nothing was happening those days. And so um, I think just the concept of it, and um, the fact that it was it was a two way conversation. In our opinion, like when we built the product, it was, the, the thinking was, hey, you know, it's not just me posting my photo for people to see, which was in and of itself kind of a novel concept at the time. Like the idea that I would submit a picture or content that for strangers to look at was totally novel um, as far as we knew. Um, you know, blogger and live journal and those kind of things were starting to get popular. Um, and you get, you know, I'm not sure if those. You would have strangers looking at your content on Blogger and, and, and LiveJournal, but it wasn't expressly for that purpose, you know. So, like this was pure exhi- it was pure exhibitionism, um, and pure voyeurism. And when you when you submit your your photo, that's like a communication. You're you're giving content to to these other people, and when they vote and give you a score back, that we felt was like a communication back. Right. So it was kind of like. Um, 
you know, early in the days of user-generated content and um, conversations um, of this two-way web notion. Um, so in that way, like, uh, <clears throat> it was fairly um, new, many of the concepts that um, underlied this product. So, and it was simple. And it wasn't, you didn't really have to explain it to anyone. So that's why we felt like, oh, maybe this could be our Mahir. And so we built it and we sent it to 40 people. 37,000 people came by the first day. So those 40 people just sent it all sent Yeah. So, so like, and we didn't even tell them to. All the email said was, like, it was a link to my picture on the, prof- uh, my picture on the site and, you know, saying, hey, here's something Jim and I built. Just uh, be nice when you, when you vote for me. And um, that was it. And, um, but they weren't all voting on you. So they went on and started uploading photos to that. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm sure you, people would consider you a handsome guy, but I don't think that. Right. So, so the interesting thing is, like, so we seeded the site with maybe 100 pictures of other people. Uh, right. I think we, you know, we, we took them from some dating website or some just some random place where I could get pictures of people. Um, and then, but then, but then we quickly. So they were rating those people. Then people started signing up. More people started coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the end of the day, we had, you know, I think like 100 new pictures uploaded mm-hmm. and at that point we're like okay we don't need the fake pictures anymore we, right. so we deleted them right. and from that point on it was all real and um, so that's that's kind of what happened there and, and so it just kept growing on its own and by the end of the week um, we had we had about uh, we were doing we, we broke a million page views a day on the 8th day and I think we did like 1.8 million page views that day I think the day before we did 900,000. So it was like double so in that day. So you, you knew you had a, a model on your hands. I mean, within the first day, I mean, the thing was 40,000 people, and it was like growing really fast. So interestingly enough, um, a few things happened that really jump-started the growth. One was that um, Salon.com wrote about it the day after we launched. Hmm. And I don't know if you remember Salon. Yeah, I might have actually even read that at the time. Yeah, it was... Um, but I didn't it, think you were like a day or two old. Yeah, we were... It, it literally... I talked to Janelle Brown, the writer, the day we launched, hmm. um, and uh, or is that right? Hold on, let me think about that. It might, it might have been one. No, it was the next day. So it, I guess it was written two days after we launched. Hmm. I would need to go back and look at the date to be sure. But um, the funny thing was that Janelle was actually the person who wrote about Mahir and made him big too. Yeah, right. So it was just, a, but it was a total coincidence. The other coincidence was that I went to college with Janelle and we were next door neighbors in the dorm. Right. But uh, it was kind of funny because I didn't know, I didn't recognize my friend who uh, sent it to her and, and subsequently she contacted me through. Didn't tell me her last name. He just said my friend Janelle wants to write an article about you mm. guys, and I, so I didn't know who she was. And we were anonymous at the time, so we said, "Well, I don't want her to know who I am, so just give her my number." But I'm not going to tell her who I am. Right. And so halfway through the interview, she was just rating people, and uh, she just kind of stopped. She's like, "Is this James Honk?" <laughs> um. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like, how, like what? Like how do you how do you know?" And she's like, "It's Janelle Brown." I'm like, oh my god, I didn't realize. Like, I've been talking to my old um, college neighbor. Oh, wow. But, yeah, it is a small role. But, um, uh, so she wrote the story uh, the day after or the day after that, after lunch. And um, so, uh, so, the, so, yeah, so she wrote an article in Salon.com, which got a lot more people, you know, then it hit Slashdot and, and things like that. And then by the end of the week, um, we were in most major European papers, because that was, I mean, I've got a lot of questions for you. So that was one of the things that really drove it forward. You, you really pushed PR. Oh, yeah. So, absolutely. yes, you had a viral model, but you worked PR. And so your role in the company was what? You were a PR guy? Yeah, so basically at that point, um, Jim and I, Jim was doing all the coding and he was trying to make it scale. Um, I was doing all the, any business development and I was doing all the PR. Because we basically felt like um, what we had was something that had a lot of word of mouth potential. Right. Um, but... Um, was not entirely defensible from a like technology standpoint or even concept standpoint. We didn't patent it, so we, it was gone mm-hmm. because we launched. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and so we basically just uh, we basically came to the conclusion that the only way that we could really grow and survive was if um, there were two classes of competitors that we saw could potentially knock us out. One is another startup mm-hmm. who somehow out executed us. 
or a big company that had distribution already, mm-hmm. right? And so for the big companies that had distribution already, we kind of wrote them off for the time being because we figured any big company who's public is not going to want to start hot or not because at the time it was regarded as so edgy that, you know, it's like, is this porn <laughs> right. would come up. And so, so you were worried about startups. We weren't, we're, so we were not worried about them. And with the startups, we were worried about them. And, you know, like, like true to form, like within a week there were like, there was, you know, like probably a hundred copycats. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very quick. In fact, in fact, like within a month, there was a category on Yahoo called "Am I X or Not?" And you know, it's like of just like different copycats. In a month after you started. Yeah, and um, so yeah, because it's a very simple concept. It took us, you know, in reality, it took Jim two days of coding. So and so, your main thing that drove the site then was PR. Is that how you stayed ahead of everyone? That is how we. So what we realized was that we we saw it as growing through word of mouth. But PR people are press people are just people who happen to have a million friends, right? right, That they can tell it about to tell about it to. And so what we so the strategy was if we got that press first, then we would lock out any competitor from getting press because. No writer wants to write a story that's already been written, and they certainly don't want to write the same story twice themselves. Right. So the goal was for me to get as much traffic, as much PR as we can, to get as much seeds for this virality out there as possible. Yeah. Um, and Jim, in the meantime, would continue working on scaling the site to keep up with that traffic. And um, yeah, and we do, and, and, and so so. Yeah, except for some BD that I did in the beginning um, to limit, like, so I, I did a deal with Rackspace that got rid of our costs, so we didn't pay for servers for a long time. That was probably a good one to do. Um, yeah, in the beginning, yeah, because it, we almost set the site, I almost wanted to set the site down because the site cost so much money at the time to run. What, what was the deal with them? Um, basically, they would, you know, they the whole managed host model was fairly new at the time, right? and they were the leader in this space, but it was still fairly small, and so... Basically, I went to them and said, listen, we're like a perfect poster child for for, for you guys. Because right. it's like, well, look, we have no upfront money. So, like, working with you is like like amortizing the cost of servers without needing the money upfront mm. to buy from Dell or wherever. Um, you have the ability for us to scale on quickly because you have the machines already, whereas if we ordered the machines, it would take weeks to get. Right. Right? And we need to scale now. So, basically, said, look, we can be your poster child for why... Scaling internet applications quickly makes most sense on a managed host, not on doing it yourself. Mm. Um, and they believe that. And I also said, and, and by the way, I have an interview with the Wall Street Journal. I have an interview with CNET Radio right. tomorrow. Like, do you want me to? And I can talk about it. Right. <laughs> so to them, it was it was that we were a good poster child for them, and that um, we were getting a lot of publicity. Probably them a lot. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, we I'm still friends with a lot of with their founders and. Um, um, is that Richard Year? Yeah, friends with Richard. Hmm. And Lou Mormon, the person who deal, did the deal, he's still there. And you know, like there, I think you know we were part of their early history. Um, you know, obviously they were they did a good job and they had a great product, so they, they would have made it on their own. But I like to think that like um, we were a, you know, we were a. I mean, I saw your, those days. what you were doing a long time ago. So that's yeah. Yeah, I probably heard about Rackspace for you back then. Yeah, yeah, we and we put Rackspace's logo on our site next, you know, above the fold. What do you think that would have cost you back in the, in the beginning? Oh well, the bandwidth alone back then it was about a thousand megabits, a thousand dollars per megabit per second. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say it probably would have cost us about. A million dollars a month, or something like that, at that cost level. You know, like uh, we, you know, we were pushing, we pushed like uh, close to 100 megabits per second. Of photos. And how did you? And, and they felt that it was worth that kind of exposure because that must have cost them a lot. Oh no, no, no! But, but then, so, so, so this was before I did the deal with them. It was going to cost us about 100. So we were pushing about 100 megabits per second, um, and so at a thousand dollars. Per meg, that'd be a hundred thousand a month. I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry, sorry, a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. But we were broke, so that was not, you know, even a tenth of that was not acceptable. Right. Um, no, we actually pushed most of the cost to Yahoo. Um, By hosting the photos with Yahoo. Yeah. So we basically stopped hosting photos and we started telling people to go to GeoCities and right. open an account to um, and give us a URL of the photo on GeoCities and we'll just put that, you know, that URL in the in HTML. <laughs> what did they say about that? Well, you know, the funny thing is that a month later, Yahoo shut down the ability for people to do that, right. but they whitelisted us. Huh. 
And uh, a year later, I had to call them up and um, ask them to do something for us. And, and in the process of talking to them, I said, hey, listen, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but uh, you know, can you tell me why right. why you did that? Like, we, you know, thank you, but why? And he basically said, look, we just didn't want to be the guys who killed Hot or Not because we loved it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so it was just, uh, it was basically goodwill. Hmm. And um, so we were hosted on Yahoo, on GeoCities, all the images for a good year, a good year's time. So you had two big breaks that helped you get going. Rack yeah, Rack Space. Well, yeah, not only that, there was a third one, which was that... Um, so Yahoo made it so the hosting of uh, the pictures was free for right. us. Um, but what we realized was that we needed to um, we needed to make money to make it sustainable. Right. Um, and because, you know, the free wasn't going to last forever. And so we ended up uh, going to Ophoto as well. Mm-hmm. And um, this is in the very, very early days of their affiliate program. Um, and we basically said, hey, will you do an affiliate deal with us? So we basically said to new users, hey, if you, have a, if you don't have a camera, just take your picture. And you know, back then, most people didn't have cameras, so they got their pictures from their friend who happened to have a camera. Right. So back then, it was like, if you don't have a camera, go to Yahoo GeoCities. If you do have a camera, go to Ophoto. Hmm. And a photo said they would host the photos of, of those users for us, and, and they paid us a dollar per user. Oh, right. And so we made, um, so that was interesting. We took something that was going to be our biggest cost driver and turned it into a profit center. Hmm. Um, so that was quite nice. And um, so, yeah, but those kind of, those three were probably our biggest breaks that made the difference between us succeeding and uh, not succeeding. Because now today that wouldn't be an issue no, all now, those things, but back when you did it, you were right, right on that cusp right. where that was high. The, 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 the ratio of cost is probably, of bandwidth is probably 100 to 1. I mean, it almost shouldn't have been possible what you did, and I guess it was probably because of those sorts of tricks yeah, you got up there. If, if, if it weren't for those tricks, um, we certainly could not have done it without raising money. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it was... Um, it was $1,000 per megabit per second, and today you can get it for about 10 mm. or less. So quite a bit difference. Uh, you know, and, all, and, and the machine costs are different now, too. So, um, yeah, building a Hot or Not application today would be trivial in terms of cost structure, but uh, so not, not, on the, uh, not back then. In your first year, how much of your time was on PR? Well, we started, oh, the first, I would say... Like as a percentage, 80% of your time, 50%? Uh, probably about seventy-five to eighty percent. Seventy-five to eighty percent of your time, PR. Yeah. Of the time, I would say seventy-five to eighty percent of the time that I worked. I wouldn't say that I was necessarily working full time. Right. Uh, you know, we were kind of it was kind of a lifestyle at that point, and uh, so you know we worked some of the time, not all the time. Why you weren't so. working that hard? Uh, well, in the beginning we were working pretty hard, but it, it tapered off once we. You know, the, the press probably lasted really strong for about half a year, mm-hmm. and um, which is pretty remarkable, actually. Like now that I understand how the press works, the fact that we were getting press for that long is actually quite remarkable, um, because most things don't get press for that long; right. they just kind of, kind of come and go. But a few things get, get press for a long time. You know, like when you look at Twitter now, Twitter is going like well beyond half a year, right. and Facebook did as well, and so did MySpace. Um, we were kind of in between there, and you know, most people get like their one article, you know, their their five articles, and then they pay the PR person, you know, twenty thousand dollars, and thank you very much, and that's it. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was working on press most of the time, and then the rest of the time I was like, you know, doing the various rack space deals, and then and then Jim and I would work on the product together, like trying to. And were you in school, or was this up? No, this is sub. This is post school. Jim was still as. Jim was still a grad student. So are you ever going to be able to work hard again, or have you just been like, <laughs> you've, you've had this lifestyle business that... Yeah, you know, I don't think... That you no, 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 no. But, 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 yeah, no, 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 I don't think so. I think, um, <coughs> I don't think uh, for me, and I don't think for most people out here, or for most entrepreneurs, I don't think, um, I don't think the motivation... The motivation is the excitement and the adrenaline mm-hmm. of, of doing something cool and the building something that a lot of people can use and um, that and that basically build you street cred. Like when we first started Hot or Not, the motivation was not to make money either. It was actually just to build street cred and just because we wanted to build Mahir. Um, mm. and, but we worked our asses. I mean, I think like it doesn't matter if you have money or you don't have money. If you have something that is taking off like crazy, you're going to be, you're going to work really hard on it because right. it's fun, right? right? And it's like, it's, and it's like, a, it's like an adrenaline rush and, you know, like the first week I slept, I probably slept about uh, eight hours 
mm-hmm. the whole week, not Keeping per night. Up and I was up, uh, I slept maybe an hour a night. And it was just because uh, I couldn't stop thinking about the site. I couldn't think of, stop thinking about things I should do. And you're, it's like, you're I didn't want to wait. On that oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I remember when we launched it, um, Jim and I had a conversation very, very early on, like the first night. And I basically, we both, we basically agreed that we didn't know how, but we knew that this was like a life-changing event. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it definitely turned out to be true. Yeah. Um, but at the time, we just thought the life-changing event would be that we would now have street cred. Um, but so you could like go and get uh, venture capital and start a company. Is mm-hmm. that kind of what you thought? For something else, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, and then you made the Opoto deal, and then money started coming in. You're like, well, well, no, but the, 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 the Opoto deal kind of like tidied us over. But like, but we saw how advertising was shrinking, mm-hmm. so we knew that advertising was not going to be a sustainable model anytime soon. Right. And so then we created the dating part of the site, um, and then threw in the revenue model there, which was subscription based. Right. And you know, actually, the interesting thing is that we had no real idea how well it would monetize um, but it ended up monetizing very well over 15% by the, by the time uh, we sold the company you know it was optimized over time mm-hmm. it was converting about 15% of or over 15% of, of new um, dating site users would end up paying hmm. which, um, which is pretty yeah it's pretty what good they were paying $6 a month at the time, mm-hmm. um, which we felt was just kind of like an impulse buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the, Did you the, test different price points? You know, we didn't. Um, we, we were fairly, we just felt comfortable with $6 because you know, it was based on what we thought two beers would cost yeah. in a bar. Um, subsequently, like five years later, we did price testing because we felt like two beers, the price went up. And we did the price testing and it showed that $8 was uh, the right price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's right. But then we actually never implemented it. And then when we sold the company, they implemented it. And true to form, there was it was inelastic. Um, the demand was still um, you know, stayed the same. Stayed the same. So you you left a lot of money on the table. Though. We did leave money on the table. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, so, overall, you did well. Yeah, like in a sense, maybe we got soft in that regard because why did we not just implement it right away? Um, but you know what? Actually, but the, the real motivation for that was that um, we knew that. The utility of making more money was not worth as much to us as the sure money that we were going to get at right. $6 a month. Right. So we basically didn't want to fuck with it. Right. Like, we're like if, we, if we touch this machine, if we change the machine too much, it could destroy it, and we don't know that we can rebuild it. Right. Because, you know, like, you like to think that it's skill and, like, but, fuck, we were really lucky. And right. so, like, and does luck strike price? Like, I don't know. So, right. so we, were very, we were fairly conservative with the company um, and the monetization because we knew that... If we just ran it for like five years, we would both make enough money that we wouldn't have to ever get jobs. Right. And so that was actually kind of like what made us really risk averse. Hmm. Um, but getting back to like, do we think that we get, am I soft now? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I personally obsess about things as a matter of personality. Hmm. And, um, and I think for Jim as well, it's just like, it's the adrenaline. It's it's making something cool. How, how, I mean, over those you started that in 2000. Yeah. So during the eight years that you ran it, how hard were you working? Um, not that hard, honestly. Like, uh, the, like first, the first the first year was hard. Solid 10 hour week. The first the fir- well you know the, in the beginning was a solid uh, you know 24 times seven minus eight. <laughs> right. Um, in terms of um you know the first half year was a lot of work in terms of time. Mm-hmm. Um. After that, we got the revenue model working. It, it and, you know, like uh, it started making us. Uh, you know, the first year I think we we ended up earning about uh, you know like seven or eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Um, at that point, so at the point that we turned the model on, we're like, okay, this more than pays for our salaries. Right. So as long as we can just kind of keep it going, it's cool. And so um, we at that point we didn't have to work as hard mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, Jim and I were never really that hard workers. We're capable of hard work, but in bursts. And uh, so we just kind of did what we needed to to maintain it at our own pace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were probably working like... Jim was still working on his PhD, so, you know, we were working probably 10 hours a week <laughs> each. So you were poster boys for the four-hour work week? 10-hour uh, weeks. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I worked about two hours a day 
on weekdays. Right. Doing uh, at that point after the PR died and all that stuff. Um, besides uh, working with Jim, you know, it was just mostly doing PR. But the reality was, you know, we worked on it. 10 hours a week but mentally we work on it 24 hours a day like right. it's your baby so it's like you're always thinking about it and like we lived we were roommates and so in our office was our living room so we just never we were always on it what were you doing the rest of the time? Uh, we were drinking a lot we were, we, were going, we were going to parties and stuff like that I mean, we, we were basically living a lifestyle business life right. that you would live if you were in your 20s right. uh, you know unfortunately it was our late 20s not our early 20s right. well probably fortunately it was our late 20s not our early 20s right. like, I can only imagine what it would have been like if we were younger um, so it was probably less crazy than it would have been but um, yeah we were basically just kind of hanging out we, were, we liked to go to cafes so we would go to the cafe every day and we had friends who um, lived in our neighborhood that also worked from home. So we had kind of our neighborhood gang that would go get lunch every day. Mm. It's kind of like, it was equivalent of, um, you know what it was like? It was basically like summer school for a, for a kid. Right. It's like, yeah, we, went, we had to work maybe like 10 hours a week, with, including homework and class. But then the rest of the time, we would go out and hang out with our friends mm. and go out and play. Um, so... But I don't think that really made us soft in that, um, like I said, it's, it's the adrenaline I think that most entrepreneurs are going for. Right. Um, and even if you're motivated by the money or whatever to, in the beginning to get started, and I'm not going to lie, the money is, is definitely one of the goals. But I think if you, if you experience hyper growth on anything, just the adrenaline kicks in and it's like a rush. Right. And it's, and it's very much of a... When things like that happen, it's usually make it or break it for the comp- the whole company, like in that first month. Right. Because uh, like you're 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 either going to pull it off and scale or you're not. Right. And so that's just like an exciting adventure. And you so, had nothing to lose. So yeah. Yeah, we had nothing to lose. And so you guys started this off seven or eight hundred grand in the first year. And mm-hmm. how did can you talk about in terms of revenues? How did that? Yeah, it, it built up to um, probably about seven and a half million in revenue every year. Uh, yeah, and that well, it, it ramped up to that level with almost no cost. Uh, no cost. Um, so for the first three years, it was just Jim and I working out of the house. Right. And then we realized at some point we came to the realization Jim started really getting into motorcycles mm-hmm. and. Uh, we kind of had a conversation once where it was like, hey, you know, if you die, yeah. you're <laughs> that's, by the bus. Yeah. that's not a good thing. And, you know, we had never heard of DNO insurance or anything like that. And right. Whatever, DNO insurance wouldn't have covered, like, the loss of the running of the site. Right. So, um, so basically, that's when we decided to hire some people. And so we, um, we ramped up to make a steady state of maybe three to four coders mm-hmm. and a customer service person slash office manager. And um, so yeah, I mean, but so we, we had like four or five salaries, and uh, which doesn't make a big dent. No, no, no. I mean, our net margin was um, probably in the. I mean, it varied over time, but like you know, I think probably eighty percent. And then you had a twenty million dollar exit. Yeah, twenty million dollar exit at the end was um, it was slightly more than that, but um, that was basically just gravy. In mm-hmm. our minds, because we were basically at, at, after eight years of running the company um, and being basically 24/7 mentally on Hondurnite, we were just tired. Right. And we had made enough money over the previous eight years that honestly, like whatever price we could get for it was fine. Right. Um, I mean, I remember telling my wife at the time. Uh, I mean, well, no, my wife at the time <laughs> when she was my girlfriend, I remember telling her, you know, like if someone were willing to just take it for free, I'd probably give it to them if I thought that they could do a good job with it. Hmm. Because it was, I mean, like, the goal of Hot or Not financially for us was to achieve financial stability and security such that we would be able to work on startups the rest of our lives. Right. And that's how we kind of viewed it, and that's how we milked it. And, uh, you know, arguably we could have made a lot more money on Hot or Not, even just by charging $8 instead of 6 hmm. But the goal was really just to get us to that point of stability. And so... Um, so, you know, we just, uh, when we when it came time to sell it, it was just like, you know, let's just get rid of it. Um, do you think so, it fell up too low? Um, do I think that we could have gotten a higher price if we shopped it harder? Yeah. Because like, we didn't shop it at all right. at that point. Um, yeah, probably. But um, I don't know how much, I don't know how much higher, and I don't know what the percentage risk was of no deal happening at that point. Mm-hmm. 
And at that point, Jim and I had already made our goal, so it's almost like we didn't really care. Right. Um, especially if you put it into the context of, you know, one of our friends, um, well, you know, actually the, the YouTube founders, um, Steve Chen and then their first uh, engineer, Mike Solomon, actually almost joined us before they started YouTube um, to start a social network around vid- uh, media sharing. And, um, you know, the, the, so, so Jim was very close friends with, with Steve and, um, you know, we would see Steve at the cafe because we were, we, were, we were in Mountain View, which is where PayPal was. And we were right down the street from PayPal. And so we used to all, all go to the same cafe. And, um, you know, basically... Steve's objective in the beginning of YouTube or of any startup that he wanted to do was basically to achieve a lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. He wasn't actually going to he wasn't actually trying to build a billion dollar business, right. but they kind of like picked the right idea and, and ran well with it. Um, but uh, you know the, the, the point is that Uh, you know, I just lost my train of thought because I was just blabbering so much about, about Steve. I had a point about Steve. Um, Not a problem. I've got plenty more questions. What, what was the question, Richard? <laughs> yeah, I've gotten to. Let's, let's, uh, we were talking about the exercise. And... Oh, oh, right. Um, so so uh, the thing that we learned from watching Steve was that, you know, they went from zero to one and a half billion in a year and a half. Right. So it's kind of like, well, are we going to build Hot or Not into a billion and a half dollar business? Probably not. Right. So we could continue working on it, but there would be an opportunity cost of potentially like one and a half billion right. or some mega mega win. Uh, oh, and something else. On something else. And, uh, and, you know, and, and the fact is that because we were working on it for so long, our heart was not in it as much because hmm. we, both Jim and I typically have typical ADD personalities. Right. So the reality is if it was going to happen, it would have already happened for us a long time ago. Right. And, you know, it's not to say that it couldn't be a much bigger business, but we were probably not going to be the ones to do it. Mm. So, why would, you know, we could stay con- collecting checks that would not have a marginal utility to us. Right. You know, if I had, you know, an extra million dollars a year or something like that, it's like it's not going to make the biggest difference right. to my lifestyle. It, the next jump has to be much bigger. And we weren't going to achieve that doing this. So, in our minds, the opportunity cost was... Um, Selling it for a less price was probably worth more to us than right. that money. Hmm. And so... Now, one of the reasons you gave at the time when you sold was the spam issue. And I was really interested in that because... And so this relates to something else. Um, there's a site... Because, as you know, I live in the Caribbean. And so there's a site called SexyOrNo. Yeah, yeah SexyOrNo, yeah. Um, which I guess is a knockoff. Oh, is it? You know, it's fascinating. Like, we had so many rip-offs. And we used to, we used to really enjoy looking at all the rip-offs and saying, man, like, these guys are not going to make it because they changed this or they changed that. Because we did put a lot of thought into our product. Mm-hmm. SexyOrNo was um, smart in that their first rev was an exact, exact copy of our site. Like, they didn't change anything. Right. And... Um, and, uh, Chinese knockoff style. Yeah, because like for most of the knockoffs, we could point to something that they did that we're like, okay, that's going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like the most common one was people wanted to add the ability for people to comment on the photos, mm-hmm. but we knew what would happen. You'll get like really lewd comments, or you'll get really mean comments, right. which means other people who are reading those comments are not going to want to submit their pictures because they don't want to submit themselves to, you know, they can submit right. themselves to the number. But they don't want to hear like you're fugly bitch, right? Like so. Um, but yeah, sexy Ono is uh, one of the more successful copycats. Um, so they, I mean, they've done well. Yeah. And then um, are they still running it? Yeah. Okay. And so they're still running. And so when you guys, um, one of the reasons you wanted to get out was the spam issue. Like they haven't had problems with spam. Oh no no no! It wasn't it wasn't so much. Um, I think we didn't get out because of the spam issue, but we knew that the spam was becoming a bigger problem in that we would have to spend a lot of time and energy fighting it, mm-hmm. and, which I'm sure, they, I'm sure they've done. And what do you mean by spam? Um, people from other countries, like, t- like well, there's two, two, there are two levels uh, of spam. I, I'm Olga from Nigerian, can you, can you wire me money? That type of thing, mm-hmm. typically, right? Um, I mean, you know, the, 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 the scammers okay. are actually very well organized. In, in fact, um, we did a lot of... We did a lot of um, you know, we, it's funny. Like they would often, some of them would often use the same password on Hot or Not that they would use on, the on their on the email accounts that they were using to rip off. Right. So when we identified a spam account, we started doing research 
to understand what they were doing. And it was one of them was a very sophisticated operation out of the Philippines mm-hmm. that had it was like a call center. Like they had level one people, level two people who would escalate. Mm-hmm. Like one person would like they would have a bot that would do things and then and then someone would start engaging you. Right. And then if it looked like you were a hot lead, they would escalate you right. to a next level person right. who could close the money or That's something like that, right? Sound like the right way to do it. Yeah, and it was very professionally run. And so, um, so finding these guys is not impossible, but it was going to be a lot of work. And so they were doing all that as lead gen on hotornot.com. Yes, lead gen for them getting you to send the money, mm-hmm. not lead gen for a product. Because I never, I never understood really what you meant by spam. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's fraudsters basically looking. Yeah. It's, it's a Nigerian scam over dating sites instead of email. Yeah, right. You know, and. Um, hmm. So you know, like it wasn't. It's not that like we gave, we we sold because the problem was so bad that it couldn't be solved. It's because we realized that the amount of to solve it, we would have to come back in and work really hard on on a, on, on a system that we were kind of tired of working on. Got it. And so that's what I meant by um, by the spam problem being one of the reasons that we. Sold. And so one of the things you guys did that I thought was pretty clever was this: um, you got a team of volunteers to help you run the site. And so right. you had the slogan of "Fun, Clean, and Real." Fun, Clean, and Real, right? Um, Which actually YouTube used as well after. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? I mean, yeah. how you got an army of guys to basically do your work for you? Yeah. Um, so what we realized is that in the beginning, when uh, when we launched the site, we also added a forum. Mm-hmm. I think we had um, we actually had one of the largest Yahoo clubs, um, or whatever they called back then, Yahoo. Clubs? I think it was clubs. can't remember. Anyway, Yahoo um, had a bulletin board system, and um, we created one, and it was, you know, it was fairly large, and um, the, the user base inside it was very active. And so when we first started thinking of ways that we could monetize, we thought, okay, well, we'll go with advertising um, as the lowest hanging fruit. Um, but then uh, we talked to uh, the founder of DoubleClick um, early on and asked him, um, for advice, and he said, "Look, if you're going to have advertising, you're going to have to be able to guarantee that there's not going to be a naked picture on the site." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we said, "Okay, how do we deal with that?" So the first thing we did was we built a system for for Jim and I to look at pictures and, and reject them. Mm-hmm. And we kind of made a um, we basically his words made us shift the model from pictures being innocent until proven guilty to guilty until proven innocent. It had to be moderated before it would show up on the site. Um, so we did that for about a day and realized that that wasn't going to work out because we were too busy. And um, so then we enlisted my parents to do it. Because um, <laughs> my parents were, you know, my dad was newly retired. Right. And so they were just hanging out at home. And so they started moderating pictures. Um, and a few days after they did that, I called them and said, how are things going? And my dad's like, oh, you know, it's really interesting. You know, mom saw some really interesting pictures, and he started describing them. And I'm like, <laughs> and I told Jim, I'm like, we can't have my parents looking at porn all day. So, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I should not. That's really yeah. funny. So, so, so then we said, well, what can we do? And we said, well, why don't we have our community do it? Right. And so we came up with the fun, clean, and real tagline because we felt like it was kind of like a call to action or something that they could gel around right. to say. Um, you, know, you know, the interesting thing was that, like, it was not hard even then to, like, find porn on the web. Mm-hmm. But, like, we, so to some of these people, it was, like, a mission to try and keep at least one place clean. Right. Right? We're, like, the well-lit um, corner of the CD web. I, re- I remember back in when, when you guys, well, you know, seven years ago or six years ago, I emailed with some of the guys. I found them on the forums and emailed them and I was because I couldn't understand why they were doing it. And they, it felt like they had a mission that they really yeah, wanted you know, to keep holding I mean, up. A lot of them were people who, um, well, one, they were in a community. And when people are in a community, they care about the community. They care about each other. You know, just like any other, it's, it's just socializing, right? It's like... Um, it's human nature for you to care about the group that you're active in. Just like, you know, it's, it's just this, like, team behavior. Like, but did um, they know you were making a fortune of it? No, but at that time, they didn't know. Uh, they didn't know, but, um, you know, the, the reality is, when we, find, we were very timid about it, but when we finally revealed it, they were happy. Hmm. Because then it's kind of like the thing that they're part of was a success. Right? Um, which kind of surprises. But now looking back on it and, and thinking about what I'm saying, uh, it makes, actually, it makes sense. Because they want, people want to be on a winning team. And, you know, like, they care about, people care about that more than they care about money, in fact. Right? And, and 
that's why people buy virtual goods on communities. Like the places where people are going to make the most money selling virtual goods are places where people care how they look to other people, and they mm-hmm. care how they look to other people when they interact with them more. Right. Right. So it's like and that's uh, what Facebook has now, and that's what Facebook has now, right? Like that's why Facebook is so powerful is because your friends see you, and that's why you care about. Um, and that, in general, that's social networking. That's why people care about their social networking profile because they want to look cool to their friends. Yeah. And um, you know, so so um, you know, with with the mods, um, they were a part of this community, and because they were part of the community, and they were spending so much time talking to each other. Um, this gave them another way to be deeper in this community, and most of these people were doing it from work, mm. and they were where they were in isolated jobs. We had a lot of admins and disc jockeys, and uh, even some investment bankers who, you know, like investment banking is a lot of work, but a lot of it is actually FaceTime. They're just sitting at the office waiting for documents to come back from, you know, the legal team or something like yeah. that. And so, um, how many uh, moderators did you have? Uh, we had thousands. Thousands of yeah. moderators. So yeah. if you had to pay all that team, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, that would have been another massive cost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and people were paying pe- uh, for that functionality, like uh, FriendFinder and all the other dating sites. Um, to this day, uh, many of them pay for that functionality. And uh, what we found was that using a wisdom of the crowds type technique, that the um, the efficiency and the accuracy of the system was quite strong. You, you guys, it seems like you just did everything right. I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I mean, I, I mean that's... that's, that's you, um, you obviously got lucky. Who knows? I mean, like, yeah, we got lucky, and, and who's to say that we couldn't have done... You know, things turned out well, so things look great in retrospect, but, yeah. but who knows what it could have been if we'd done things differently. Maybe it would have been better, but... Um, you know, it's just it's just like uh, people say eBay is doing great, but maybe it would be better and even bigger if they you know, yeah. were doing other things. So you, you you you've you've hooked onto a lot of the really solved, important concepts. But we solved yeah we solved some problems um, in ways that were unorthodox at the time, but today are are more commonly uh, accepted and known. Uh, so user generated content, um, the concept of um, Two-way communication um, of the content and uh, uh, virtual goods. I think we were the f- uh, first uh, interesting site in the U.S. to do virtual goods mm. back in 2004, um, selling virtual flowers. Um, and we and the concept of um, wisdom of the crowds was not um, known then. Mm. But that's effectively what Potternot was, and that's also what our moderation system was. Because what we realized is that it was based on the math, the, the moderation system, that you know, even if someone only has a 5% accuracy, if you require five people to say to vote in favor of a picture, then the odds of you know, getting five negative votes or getting five wrong votes is you know, um, one minus 5% to the fifth power. Mm-hmm. So it, it quickly becomes you know, a 99.999% system. Um, and um, that was kind of... Uh, that was an interesting thing that um, we came up with, and, and then it was interesting. It was very interesting to read Wisdom of Crowds to understand what we had done, um, and it helped us understand what we did, what we did even better as well. Um, but you know, but, but you know, you know, like it's it's, it's kind of, but, but it's not like we invented it, and, and it's not like Cyril Wiki invented it. The, you know, the author. This kind of thing has been going on in communities all the time. You know? Yeah, you guys um, just did a lot of things really right. And, and, and the internet is really, that's really what the internet changes, is that it enables communities to form. And, you know, and kind of like Web 1.0, it was about community formation. And then Web 2.0 started being more about, okay, with this network, what can you do now that you couldn't do before? Right. Right? Like, now that you have this distribution, now let's start flowing content over it. Now let's start doing intelligent observations based on that content. Right, like like hot or not, like um, like Yelp, like uh, you know all sorts of things, right? Like, but like Yelp is not new. Like Zagat existed, but it only existed in book form, so it was right. slow and not everyone could participate. It was edited to some degree and and so on. Um, and the web is like the ultimate opening of of um, community action, and that kind of stuff did happen on BBSs, but just on a minor scale because the only people on BBSs or you know on Usenet were you know, dorks like me. Right. Whereas now everyone's like me. Yeah. Um, 
You guys had the domain, you started off with am I hot or not, and yeah. then you switched to hot or not? Yeah. How did that work? Like, how did that that question? That's actually what we use all the Ofoto money for. Oh, really? <laughs> um, it's kind of funny. Like, So, when we started Hot or Not, um, the original name was going to be canyoutakeit.net, right. which just shows the naivete of, 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 of Jim and I at the time. Right. <laughs> um, it's like .net, like nothing. Yeah. Nothing .net has ever worked. Right. Um, you know, Craigslist.org is probably the you know most interesting org. But um, so when we started Hot or Not, um, we looked at different names, and we actually did look at um, Am I Hot? Am I Hot or Not? Um, we looked at Hot or Not, but it was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't find anything on those sites. But Am I Hot or Not was the only one that wasn't taken, so we launched on that. And then. My understanding of what happened is that like Howard Stern was talking about our site like in that you know first week, mm-hmm. and um, the next thing we know, there's a site on amihot.com, and then a month later we get a cease and desist from them saying that we launched after them, mm-hmm. and uh, which we knew not to be true because we went to their site and their site was down, and their their reply to that was, well, we had to move the server, so you must have just caught it when it was offline, mm. which we didn't really buy, but. Whatever they, you know, we didn't want this legal action against because we, at that point we didn't even think it was a company, mm-hmm. and so um, so we we worked out with them that we said, okay, look, we're gonna get hotornot.com and we'll move from am I hot or not to hot or not, and it turns out later that like we found out from someone who interned at their company that they really thought that they were screwing us by doing that deal hmm. uh, because they felt like am I hot or not, um, everyone would abbreviate to am I hot and. Um, that they, we, they, they would basically win and we would lose. Hmm. Um, but as soon as that happened, I basically reoriented all the press to being hot or not. And, which is um, shorter and easier to remember. Well, yes, and, and yeah, which is why we liked it, and it rhymed. You know, oh, and um, but um, that's it. That's, that's but the press was excited. Hot versus hot or not. Hot, yes. hot or not, it totally rhymes. It's like simple, like yeah. BlackBerry. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. catchier, and, and, and little things like that matter. Yeah, um, and so. Um, you know, a lot of people ask us why we thought um, Hot or Not was a success, and I had two reasons. One was the name, mm. and the other was because of the um, JavaScript auto-submit thing that we did, where if you... Back then, all form posts, people would have to hit a, a submit button, mm-hmm. and we came up with the JavaScript to make it just go, right? And, um, and which made the interface a lot more addictive. Mm-hmm. And, and those two things probably made us um, from a product standpoint. But... Um, mm. You know, like so. so with your ideas or with your partner? Uh, the JavaScript was my idea. Hot or not? I mean, we, we worked on together. Well, hot, the JavaScript thing was my idea, but Jim figured it was basically. I said, "Dude, can we get that? Can that exist with right. JavaScript?" Back then, JavaScript was fairly new; no one right. used it. Right. And um, we did a lot of clever things with JavaScript. Actually, um, um, another problem that we had was people would get their picture approved. And then they would change, but because it was distributed on GeoCities, mm-hmm. they would change the picture after it was approved. Mm-hmm. So we did we did this thing where when they submitted the photo, we we took a hash of the we took a hash of the photo, we took the dimensions and the file size and things like that. We didn't do it. We didn't do a hash because, um, but we did do a file size and dimensions mm-hmm. because, i.e. Internet Explorer allowed JavaScript to access those functions, those characteristics in browser. Right. So what we would do is. Um, we, when we displayed the photo on any given page, we had JavaScript code checking to see that the file size and, and dimensions of the picture were exactly the same as what was in our database for that mm-hmm. for that image. And if it wasn't, it would automatically um, go to the next page. It would send it would say it would send our server uh, a request saying, "Hey, give me another picture." And by the way, this one is bad now. Right. Then we would that one would go back into the queue, mm-hmm. uh, the moderation queue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I remember reading an interview with you somewhere about where you talked about everything was very efficient. Yeah, two pages, very efficient. Yeah, yeah. So we, we basically tried to automate wherever we could, and that was basically a function of the fact that it was just two guys, and we didn't have employees, and we were running lean. Right. You know, I think if we had raised money, things would have probably worked out a lot differently. Yeah, you uh, might have. We really, we really made the thing pretty efficient in the first, you know, in the beginning of the site. Um, 
But um, do you yeah, think so, it helped you be, being in the Bay Area? I mean, could you guys have yeah, been in... Yeah, absolutely. If you'd have been in Nebraska, could it have gotten to where it was? Or, or uh, not likely. Not likely. What was it that helped? Um, you know, some of these factors have changed since then. Um, but um, one is um, that there's a lot of expertise that we got from friends that... Um, you know, I, let me take it back. You know, you probably could do it from somewhere else, but it was very helpful to us to have friends who work in the same space who could give us a lot of advice. Mm. Uh, and the odds of having those friends are a lot lower if you're not here, because right. we're physically here. And these were our friends. You know, like people we went to college with helped build big sites. Right. And um, but you know, today on the internet, it's not hard to make friends virtually either. So you know, it, it, it certainly is possible to do these kinds of things. What kind of um, stuff would be advice that you got from your friends in the Bay Area? A lot of it was technical. Hmm. Um, so scaling it, do you mean? Just scaling it. Um, you know, just infrastructure uh, recommendations. Um, you know, the Rackspace deal, if I called them, um, I did call them cold, hmm. but I happen to know, I read, I read that Lou Mormon went to Stanford Law School mm-hmm. the same year as this other guy I knew. Hmm. So I emailed my friend saying, hey, did you know this guy? He's like, yeah, I know him. I'm like, can I mention that I know you? Right. He said, yeah. And then I called. So when I cold called them, I said, hey, I know uh, you went to law school with Josh, right. Josh Becker. And uh, um, hey, so I'm a friend of Josh's, and that was that was helpful, right? right. You know, like certainly we could have achieved what we achieved if we didn't live here. Hmm. But you know, it's kind of hard to answer the question because we, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if we lived yeah, in right. Nebraska. But right? you didn't raise money. You didn't have a board. Yeah. I mean, you just had friends that helped talk you through stuff. Yeah. And uh, if we didn't have that help, I can't say maybe we would have been successful still. And there certainly are companies that are successful that are not in the Bay Area. Hmm. Um, but, you know, did it's, it's kind of like when people ask me, did I get anything out of business school? Like, I can't really tell you what I got out of business school. Like, my answer to that, you know, would probably be not really. But... I can't really say. Maybe I did. Maybe there's some intangibles that I learned or, or developed skills that I, you know, that I have that became useful. That it's hard to say what the world would be like if it took a different path because right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now? I mean, you're an angel. You're funding stuff. You're yeah, on boards I, of things. Yeah, like that. I started angeling things about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Mochi Media is probably the biggest one I'm in. Um, Slide. Um, you're an investor in Slide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, Slide. So I'm, I'm best friends with Max Levchin, who's mm-hmm. the founder of, of Slide, and because we were all in Mountain View, and so we were close to PayPal, and that's how I met him through PayPal connection. Um, but uh, yeah, Slide started off as Babe Ticker, and it was a product that was going to show you pictures of. Um, it was basically an RSS image feed reader, mm-hmm. and the first feed that he offered was a hot or not hot girl feed that we created for him. Mm. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, Slide and um, a company called Raptor mm-hmm. um, that Dennis Fong does. I don't know if you know Dennis. He did start. He was one of the founders of Xfire, which mm-hmm. was uh, right, yeah. gaming. So he's doing a new thing in gaming called Raptor. Um, I was involved with BitTorrent. Um, uh, anyway, and I'm like probably in like ten companies or so. Um, so I started doing that, um, thinking that maybe that could be my career. <laughs> right. Uh, but um, I've come to the realization lately that I'm not sure if I'm ready to be in just an investor because I kind of miss the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. I've worked 10 hours a week. Um, <laughs> well, no, obviously not the adrenaline of working 10 hours a week, but the adrenaline of having something that is worth working 10 hours a week on. Right. Or, no, I'm sorry, 10 hours a day on. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, yeah. no, sorry. Um, come on, I got to You said a week, not a day. Yeah. pretty good. Um, no, no, we've been very lucky, but... Um, I miss the adrenaline of having something and, and, and um, having uh, the creation aspect of it right. is very valuable to me. You know, like I've always liked building things, and um, <clears throat> you know, when I was a kid, it's you know, it went from being with Legos and, and, and then programming to you know, like. But I feel like internet internet services are things. You know, like they're not tan- they're not physical things, but they are meaningful to people, and so I enjoy making things that people like. And, um, and you get a rush out of it. Mm. And um, so I think my goal now is probably to go back to um, starting something. Um, Will you do it from the States? 
Um, yeah, you know, like, so I'm going to take this vacation for a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my wife, we just had a kid. And so it's kind of like, it's pretty clear that I'm not going to get much work done in, over the next year anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So might as well go travel, <laughs> you know, not just sit at home all day. Um, you can travel with a kid? Uh, yeah. I'm told that it's actually easier in the beginning. Hmm. So, you know, because he sleeps a lot. Right. And, um, and it gets harder when they start running around. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, I think I'm going to take this year to come up with ideas and think of different things. Um, and uh, and then when I get back, probably get to work on some of them. Mm. You know, I find that, like, a lot of my, a lot of things, um, a lot of the better ideas, there's not really a big hurry. Um, because the odds of anyone implementing, thinking of something really innovative and executing on it too at the same time, like within a year time frame is pretty low. And that most good ideas can simmer for years. And actually, the good ideas are the ones that stick. Like what's an example of ideas? Because my, my feeling has been that the good ideas go at a certain time and once they're gone... Well, yeah, yeah there's, the, you know, timing is almost everything for a lot of things, right? And a lot of times people who... Um, think of ideas, think ahead of the curve. Like a lot of the really big ideas are things that are ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, with Hot or Not, we happened to launch right around the time that um, digital cameras were getting cheaper. Right. And so more people could participate, and that made it infinitely more viral. Mm. Um, because, you know, I mean, uh, usually it would be the content. The content creation aspect of it drives a lot of the growth. Mm. So I just realized that at three o'clock. Am I late? Now you're fine. Oh, two forty-five. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, and so, you know, the timing for us was was the content creation piece. YouTube as well. Like um, right around when YouTube came out, that's when cameras started having. And they heard that. Yeah. Uh, the ability to create videos. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And things like that. So I think oftentimes ideas um, are ahead of their time. And it kind of wait, you have to wait for the technology that it relies on to get cheap and widely distributed. So I can ask what you're looking at? Oh, I mean, I'm not looking at anything right now. I mean, I, but I do think about like these kinds of issues. Like what's, what's down the pipe? Like basically I think a good way to, to think about these things are to think of what technology, what, what is the future going to look like? Like, what's going to be different? Like, for instance, right now, I can tell you that the iPhone is changing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not necessarily that everyone is going to be on the iPhone, but the use case and the paradigm in which people think of um, their level of connectivity with an iPhone is going to change how all smartphones are made. And so if you build consumer apps based around where the iPhone is going to be in a year or two or three. Well, yeah, so then you start thinking about um, things like the con- the concept of um, um, ubiquitous connectivity, mm. like uh, the fact that I'm going to be connected 100% of my day, and not just when I'm at a computer or even my laptop, mm. right? Like, and the fact that it has push notifications now um, is insanely huge, right? So, the, so you start thinking about well, with that infrastructure, when everyone has the ability to be connected. To, to be contacted 24 hours a day with connectivity uh, like that, what can you do now, right? right? And the truth is that like, if you think of that, you're going to be early because everyone doesn't have connectivity now. Right. Everyone doesn't have an iPhone yeah. now, right? And they're not designing apps for that. Right, but, but, but um, you know, the, the truth is that people have been thinking about that concept for almost a decade now, right? Before it was with WAP, right. but, but it's clear that the paradigm shift just happened. And so a lot of ideas that um, people probably had five to ten years ago are only now possible, right? And so I, I don't really feel that like, um, it's like, you know, I think when I go traveling, I can think about ideas that may be the right time when I get back or mm-hmm. maybe a little later. Um, you know, even Hot or Not, we had the idea for Hot or Not, the general idea of Hot or Not we had a year and a half before we launched Hot or Not. Mm. Um, it was basically a dating site where that you would use collaborative filtering and things like this. Right. Um, but it wasn't interesting until people had the ability to take their own photo and submit their own photo to that system. right? Mm. And so that's why the timing was right. But you didn't know that? Um, we didn't know. No, it wasn't thought out. But the fact is, uh, the fact is, 
more people had cameras. So, so it's not like we thought, hey, we're going to wait until cameras are out that we'll launch it. Right. But you know, it's just like because it was because cameras are starting to come out, you start thinking about pictures yeah, right. again, and it's like, oh yeah, we can do that. Yeah, right. You know, so it's not it's not like master evil. It's not like evil plan. You know, like genius. You just it's not genius plan, things. but you just notice things and like. The timing is right when it comes when the idea comes back to you because it's coming back to you for a reason. Yeah, right. Based on some external um, suggestion factor, right? Like, oh shit, everyone has cameras now. Got it. Um, just quickly, your partner, what's he doing now? Is he going to be part of your next venture? Uh, he's no, he's in he's in Philly now. Mm-hmm. Um, although he 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 still has a house here, so he goes back and forth. But his wife is from Philadelphia, so right. he they moved out there. And uh, he's just kind of, um, he's just working, he's building iPhone apps now, mm. um, out of his house, just him. Cool. On to the next thing. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to talk about which we haven't covered? No. I mean, yeah. Cool. I don't, I don't have an agenda, so <laughs> right. if, you get, if you ask it, I'll answer it. But uh, no, That's it. Well, James, thanks for okay. having me. Thank you.